I, I don't hope that what I share causes someone who is born again to question whether they're born again or not. And there's things that are spoken in God's word that to a person who's born again, it should just ring true. That's one way that uh, as we hear God's word, uh, there'll be in Christian language, there'll be a witness inside in our spirit that says, yes, that's true. I know exactly what you're talking about. That's happened in my life. I've seen God do that. I've seen God's word have that effect on me. Um, and another effect I hope that what is shared today is for us that what we hear from God's word from the book of Hebrews will strengthen us the letter of Hebrews was written to born again believers many of them born again believers and it was part of the purpose behind it maybe uh, part of it I'll say it was to exhort and encourage them based on what they were going through. Um, and uh, based on our common background, I don't want it to be uh, something where a person goes home who is born again and just looking for something in their heart that is unchristlike, and then feeling like, oh, I'm not born again. And I'm tormented by that. That can happen in people's lives as they look into their heart and try to find... We can all find something. There's a reality in a born-again believer's life. I believe in a born-again believer's life that there is sin still there in the heart. And it comes out, it comes up, and we... Uh, the Bible, God says, to put those things to death through the power of the Spirit. So it's, it's there. If I look close enough in my heart over the last week, I see sin. And God wants me to reach out to Him in faith and believe that He'll put to death that sin that I see come up out of my heart in different situations, circumstances. I want you to imagine in America here that uh, the government passes a law that puts a regulation on what you could share as a Christian or if you were in the spot that I'm in where you're up in front of people sharing God's word, the government puts a restriction on that. And through some law, uh, a person in the position that I am is now told, you can say this, but you can't say that. This might hurt someone's feelings or this might make someone feel bad if you say that you can't say that anymore you can still preach from the bible you can still share from 90 percent of it i but you can't cross this line that we've set and if i refuse to do that i am now under the threat the real threat of i could be thrown in jail or the the government could come and take whatever they wanted from my home they could knock on my door and you're not you're not uh, you're you're uh, violating this law therefore we're taking your stuff and you better stop because it's hurting other people um, we could imagine maybe that happening right and I want you to open to the book of Hebrews 
if you have your Bible, it's chapter 1. And uh, when I shared when we were out in the picnic area about this few words there in chapter 2 of Hebrews where it talks about don't neglect so great a salvation. Why? We're going to look at a little more into why was Hebrews written? Who were, who were these people that were receiving this letter? Now, back to, our, uh, back to our imagination. We're imagining ourselves in this situation and the government comes to us and says, now there's a church that we've created that we've formed and if you join this church, it's all good. Your family won't face any persecution. Your kids won't get persecuted at school. There's no threat of anything getting taken away. You can come back in if you come into the church that we've set up by our parameters. You can be in there. It's all good. And so you face that as a parent, as a husband, as a wife. What should I do? If I join the, the church that the government has set up, I'm free. I can still worship God. But there's one last uh, requirement that the government sets up that before you step into the state-run church, you have to publicly say that Jesus isn't God's Son and He's not the only way to heaven. Once you say that, you can be part of the state church, you can preach from the Bible, but you have to publicly confess that Jesus isn't who He said He was. If you don't do that, you face prison, taking your stuff, uh, maybe living in the hills, living on the streets. They don't. There's. Uh, there's. People aren't sure who wrote the letter of Hebrews, but it was to some people who possibly could have been going through the situation that I just talked about. Which it's not too much of a stretch for us to imagine that and think, what would I do? Then my relationship with Jesus better be real. It better be something that causes me to... He's so real to me that I choose Him rather than choosing not to be persecuted. And uh, in preparing and reading, I want to share what at least David Pawson's take on what the background of the letter to, to the Hebrews uh, was. I'm not saying this is exactly true, but I do respect him. Um, <coughs> when he gives background and uh, letters of the Bible um, why the letters of the Bible were written and it's his understanding that this letter was written to Christians under the time when Nero was ruling and Nero started out he compared him uh, to Hitler then when Hitler first came to power in Germany he, he did many good things he fixed their economy he he made things better in the country. The economy of the country was, was getting better and better. And Nero was the same way. came into power and he had listened to the people and had many good ideas that helped the country get better. But over time, like Hitler, Nero, uh, we might say, got came, became pretty crazy and a dictator. And things started to go bad uh, when he became a dictator, especially for the Christians. So in the letter of Hebrews, you know that it's written there that none of them had been martyred yet, but they had lost their possessions. They were facing persecution. 
And here comes a letter to them, a letter that was written by God. Right? We sang that song, Ancient Words Ever True. These ancient words, do you realize we get to read those ancient words? That this letter to the Hebrews, uh, that these Christianity was illegal under Nero at that time, David Pawson explained, but Judaism wasn't. So if you wanted to go back to the synagogue into Judaism, you could. And you'd be free from all the persecution. Just like I said though in our example in our imaginary example, all you had to do is say Jesus wasn't who he said he was. He's not the only way to heaven and I'm going to be part of the state-run church or whatever it's legal is the Jewish synagogue and you'd be free from all persecution. So there we are in America that this law is set that is similar to this and we're going to the church had to go underground he was saying at the time this letter of Hebrews was written and you receive a letter from another brother somewhere else what do you hope to receive what do you hope that almighty God would send you how about a uh, 20 cases of guns and we'll we'll be safe then or 20 cases of hundred dollar bills then we can we'll be safe then in reading and looking at having that mindset as I read uh, Hebrews like this was exactly what they needed what was written in Hebrews it was an exhortation it was an encouragement it was as we'll read here shortly Jesus is so much better than what angels had spoken or from Moses he's so much better that's a lot of what the, the letter to, of Hebrews was saying to those Christians. How awesome Jesus was and that he was worth it. And um, Jesus said in John chapter 10, we, you can just stay, in, just stay in Hebrews 1 there, we'll be there shortly. Jesus said in John chapter 10, because the writer the person who wrote the letter to the, uh, of Hebrews knew that these people in regards to their circumstances were struggling maybe like there's a chance they could deny Christ go back to the synagogue and be safe and the encouragement of the writer who was God was saying no don't do it heaven is worth it I'm going to give you examples of people who had their eyes open to heaven and how great it was and they said heaven's way more than losing my possessions. That's what it says there in that those verses there in Hebrews. But Jesus said in John 10, I am the door of the sheep and all who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. So stop. let's stop for a second and think about what Jesus said there. I am the door of the sheep. And all who came before me are thieves and robbers. Every person that's come, that's lived in history, that came before Jesus, talking to people about the way to life, the way to peace, the way to happiness, the way to heaven, is a liar. Those people are thieves and robbers. The only way to heaven is Jesus Christ. Everyone that has ever come and built a religion out of anything but what the Bible says is a thief and a robber. 
God is the only one that can grant eternal life. That comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Eternal life comes through Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, everyone that came before me is a thief and a robber. That's pretty complete, right? Was that kind of mean for Jesus to say? Was, I mean, does he have to be that absolute about it? Every single person in the history of the world that has come and built some structure or some religion that says this is the way to heaven is a thief. They're a robber. They're robbing from God. They're, rob- they're, tr- they're robbing from Jesus. What are they robbing? The souls of people promising something that isn't true, promising a way to heaven that doesn't lead to heaven. It doesn't lead to heaven. Or Jesus is wrong. But he's not wrong. And the sheep did not listen to them. The sheep are who? They're those that are born again. And the born again believer didn't listen to the thief and the robber who offered some other way. Who said, you can go this way and make it to heaven. You can go this way and have eternal life. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So I know if I come in through Jesus, I can be saved. Matthew 7, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. In Luke 13, someone asked Jesus, Lord, are there just a few who are going to be saved? And Jesus said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. That word strive um, in the original language has a meaning of agonize. Strive, find, look, pray, look for this eternal life. Strive. Uh, I, I remember that in the beginning of my Christian life and I remember it yes, this last week. This striving in prayer and asking God for uh, help and taking hold of a promise by faith and wanting it to see come true in my life. There is that striving, that agonizing. I'm not creating it myself, but I'm striving to receive the promise from God. I always, I don't know if I should, I was thinking, it always comes to mind, can I just lay on the couch and eat potato chips and expect God to do everything? (laughs) Why did Jesus say strive to enter the gate? Because you've seen in your life, haven't you, in your pursuit of God, There's an agonizing, a striving. Uh, I don't create it in my own strength, but I'm I'm going after it. I'm hearing the gospel. I'm hearing that Jesus is the only way. We'll go home and sit on the couch and eat potato chips and see what happens. But God says, if I seek after Him with all of my heart, I'll find Him. He promises that. I'm, I'm digging, I'm seeking, I'm trying to find. And He... He gives. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. If you listen to the thing that I put on Viber about Paul Washer's wife, you see there was a striving in her heart as she heard God's word. Probably most of you know Paul Washer. He's a pretty famous preacher. 
And his wife was married to him for 12 years, traveling around listening to him and realizing at the end of those 12 years, I'm not born again. I'm in ministry. I'm, I've been 12 years a missionary's wife. I've witnessed to people. I've seen God move in people's lives through what I've said and realize I'm not, I'm not born again. I'm just doing these things because they're the right thing to do, because they're good things to do. But she realized there's no life inside. There's no zeal. There's no love for God's Word. She read God's Word because it was the right thing to do. And then she realized, well, there's a difference. that As Christians, we can, we can go a few days, let's say maybe a few weeks, without reading God's Word, and we realize there's, there's something missing. Man, I'm hungry. Oh, I need to read God's Word. I want to read it. it, it it's like food for me. For her, it was like checking it off a checklist and feeling good about checking the, checking the checklist off. In John 14, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So in Hebrews, the writer is reminding the, the Christians that are in this difficulty that the greatness of Jesus. Also in the letter to the Hebrews, there's warnings about backsliding. And that was the, if you're there in Hebrews chapter 1, you, you're close to chapter 2. In the beginning of chapter 2, it says, Therefore we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. Now sometimes a preacher could preach like that, and you could sit in where you guys are at, and you could think it's legalistic. Or kind of, I don't know what, you know how we can get thoughts. God says, therefore we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. And this picture of the ocean that you guys shared this morning of the ink, and if it was filled with ink, and we had a pen, and we could write about God's love. I was thinking yesterday about the ocean, and there being one spot in the ocean, under the water that you can't see, and under the whole ocean, there's there's a Bible under the surface and you drop your anchor right into the Bible. And the whole ocean, if you drop your anchor, you're going to drift. It's not going to hit the right spot. Jesus said, I am the way. You can argue with Him. He said, I am, you, I am the life. I am the door. You can only find the Father if you come through me. So if you have this whole vast ocean and there's this big of spot in the ocean and you've sought God and you've strove to find and you've asked in prayer and you've, God, I don't believe, help me to believe. I, this is the only way to life. I want to know you. And, and you're born from above. And God allows you to drop your anchor into this big of spot in the ocean. The, the writer of Hebrews is saying, keep it there. Be careful that you that you forget to pay attention to what you've heard and your anchor comes up out of the Bible, out of Jesus Christ, and you begin to kind of drift away, drift away. He's saying, be careful. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable in every transgression or disobedience received a just retribu retribution, 
How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. And lastly, uh, another quote from David Pawson about Hebrews. He says, it stresses that safety lies in fellowship when we're under pressure. Safety lies in fellowship when we're under pressure. Hebrews encourages us, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Because you're under persecution, because the government is creating its difficult circumstances. Don't stop meeting together. Don't. He says the devil will pick off Christians on their own. So when the pressure's on, stay close to the family. It reminds believers to keep on loving visiting those in prison, and spurring one another on toward good deeds. So, with what you've heard so far and thinking about being in that situation, you understand why God says, don't pull up your anchor. Be careful that you're not drifting away from what you've heard. Pay close attention to what you've heard. Okay, Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4. It says there long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. I want to go through it slowly. There's eight things I see here that God says about Jesus. Where the writer of the Hebrews is reminding them how great Jesus is And He is the reason that it's called a great salvation. First is Jesus in these days. God has spoken to us in His Son. Do you believe that? Do you think that the letter of Hebrews was just written for those in that time? Or do you think that the Bible and the Word of God transcends time to where it can speak to us and say, in these days that we live in, and in the days that these Christians, that this was written to, God has spoken to us in His Son. Or is there some other way that you believe God has spoken? If you think that there's some other way that God has spoken and shown us His exact character, Jesus said, that's a thief and a robber. It's not true. You can think that it's true, but it's not. God says it's not true. He says, in these days, God has spoken to us in His Son. Now, if we believe that, we will value God's Word. We'll love God's Word. That song that we sang, Ancient Words, will mean much more to us. as we grow in faith and believing that Jesus is who God has spoken through. In 1 John, um, many of the words that are written in Scripture were written, for example, 1 John, by someone who was with Jesus. John was with Jesus. Like we'll go out and have a picnic. John sat and ate with God's Son. He sat and had meals and talked with Jesus when Jesus was here as a human and he was writing what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. 
and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. John is not writing about something that he that he sat down on a hill and had a dream and said, This is what this is what God showed me, and came up with a book of writings. John is not saying that he was walking down a road and all of a sudden someone came up beside him and shared these secrets of life with him and said and took that and wrote it in a book and said this is the way to life he's he's sharing there in first john that i saw it i touched it i i was with jesus and now i'm sharing this with you this eternal life what god's son shared with me I um, this week or the week before there's a guy named James Montgomery Boyce who wrote a book about the parables of Jesus and he was saying that other religions let's say like Islam uh, that they don't the, Islam doesn't need Muhammad Muhammad came up with a bunch of ideas that he thinks were from God and he put them in a book and you're to follow these principles and it's to lead to life. Muhammad didn't say, I am the way to God. Jesus did. Muhammad didn't say, I am the door. If you come through, if you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you'll have eternal life. No, he didn't. He came up with some ideas or spiritual truths, they call them, and put it together and People think that's the way to heaven, but he could. Another person could come in and take his place. No one can take Jesus's place with the claims that he made. He claimed he was going to be come back, rise from the dead, and he did. He claimed that he was the only way to eternal life. That's the way Christianity is different than other religions. And John is telling us, I, "I'm writing because I saw these things." Back in Hebrews it says, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, who he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for, purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The second thing that we see there that God tells us about Jesus is that he is the heir of all things. Everything is his. Everything is Jesus's. So the Hebrew Christians that were there having their goods stolen from them, being, losing their homes, facing prison time, he's reminding them that Jesus is the heir. Jesus, everything is his. This may be happening to you, but everything is his. And then he says, Jesus made the world. Do you believe that? Have your kids asked you, my kids ask sometimes, uh, for example, like, Dad, is that banana split? Did God make that? Did God make this building? 
I mean in my heart, I say yes. Everything that materials that he made the banana. He allows us he allows us to use our imagination and gives us brains and we can make cream and whipped cream and we can make sauces for the ice cream. But ultimately, you go back. This building is here because of God. Yeah, he gave us a brain. He, he allows us to make things. But uh, I see what you're saying. Did he come down here and prepare this? Did he come into Dairy Queen and make that banana split? No, he didn't. But it's not too far for me to go very far back and say, yes, he's the reason that I'm enjoying this. Who gave you your taste buds? Kids, did you make your own taste buds or did some doctor figure out how to give you taste buds to taste that banana split and it tastes so good? God made those. God made those taste buds. Then he says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. If you're not born again, or um, to, a li- to some degree, if your Christian life is kind of sitting on the couch and eating chips, that statement may seem like, what are you talking about? Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's nature. I've shared on that the last few months, 2 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 4, that we're changed as God allows us to see Jesus Christ. That as I sit down with God's Word and God allows me to see Jesus and I see His glory and I spend time with Him, I'm changed in that way. I'm changed, it says in 2 Corinthians, as I see His glory, I'm changed from one glory to another. So as God allows me to see. 2 Corinthians 4, there says Satan has the power to blind us to that. So I realize, okay, there's more going on here. Satan could, I could be blind to it. It could mean nothing to me because Satan has blinded me to it. And so I hear the truth of God's word. I say, God, I cannot see that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Will you open my eyes that I could see? Because Jesus said, if you see, your sin remains. You act like a Pharisee and you act like you know the way to heaven. You know God without Jesus. He's saying, you're saying that you can see and you, therefore you're going to remain blind. But if you admit that you're blind, I'll allow you to see. You see, you can't twist God's arm and say, you're going to do it my way, God. God has said, this is the way it is. So I come to Him not as someone wise and not as somebody who's smart. I come to Him as someone who's stupid and like a child and I don't know. And I say, God, open my eyes. And He does. I'm blind. Therefore, he says, you humbled yourself. Now you can see. And he allows us to see. Um, It says here that Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power? That scripture, those words, are precious to the born-again believer. 
The Hebrews are being reminded of it. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Matthew 28, Jesus had risen uh, from the grave, and the disciples were there, and they said when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Jesus probably knew that. I'm guessing. He knew as he walked and he saw that that person was doubtful. One way that a human could react to that is like, what's wrong with you guys? You spent three years with me. You saw me crucified. Now you see me again and you're still doubting. I'm just going on. I'm going to find somebody else. But he didn't do that. That should encourage us. It says they were doubtful. And then it says, Jesus came up and spoke to them. This is what he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. That's why he said, if you climb up some other way, you're going to end up in hell. If you think there's another way around and you get in that way, you'll end up in hell. That's what Jesus said. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You can come through me and have eternal life, Jesus said. Only one way. And then, the seventh thing, Jesus has made purification of sins. There's no way to get rid of your sin but by the blood of Jesus. There's no way we can get rid of it. There's no way we can be righteous. There's no way any of us can enter into heaven without a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. And there's no way to get that except by the blood of Jesus. Because He was the perfect sacrifice, because He was God's Son, and He shed His blood, we can be righteous. Please turn to Romans 5. Do you believe that Jesus has made purification of sins? I mean, just think of that statement. Since the beginning of Adam and Eve, God's plan to send His own Son to provide a way to make us righteous through His blood, and then Jesus is put in Mary's womb. He's born. He goes through those three years. Uh, Incredible. And then, during that time, He's going to make purification for sins. In Romans 5, verse 17, it says, For if if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, that means Adam's sin. Death came through his sin. God told him, Adam and Eve, not to, and they did, and death came into the world. Sin came into the world. And it reigned. Death reigned through the one. Death was like a king. Death had power. Death was uh, controlling. It reigned through the one. Now look look at the scripture. It says, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. You know that word receive doesn't, 
it has a, a nuance to it of like, there's an opportunity for it to be there. And I walk over and I receive that gift by putting out my hand and receiving that gift. It's not as though I'm laying on the couch and here comes someone with a gift and they give it to me. I realize that there's a gift. To receive it, I go over and I reach out. And just like death reigned through the one, God says here, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. What does that mean that you'll reign in life? You'll have life. Death will lose its grip on you. Death will lose its power. Death will lose like sitting as a king over your life. If you're not born again, death sits like a king and rules over your life. It has power. And in Hebrews it says that for all their life they were held in bondage, slavery to death. It had a, it had a power over them. But God says here in Romans that those who have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. So don't go away today thinking, I'm too filthy, I'm too dirty to come to God. That's unbelief. John Bunyan warned of that in a good little writing. It was called The White Dragon. He says that unbelief, one of the characteristics of unbelief is that hearing the gospel, hearing about Jesus Christ, and feeling like I'm too dirty, I'm too not this, I'm not this, I'm not this, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go yet. That's unbelief. Didn't God say come? If you if you you know that he said that in the Bible, Jesus said, "Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden." He said to him, "Come, come and eat, come and taste, come and see." Unbelief is what will keep you in your mind thinking and deciding and, well, should I? Should I not? Do you want to know Jesus? Do you want eternal life and what God promises? Or do you... God says, come. So once we receive that gift, the abundance, that word means superabundance of grace, more than enough, and the gift of righteousness... So, we probably won't get to it, but in John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he doesn't realize that righteousness is, it, righteousness is a gift. He thinks that what he has done in his life and being good was how he was going to get to heaven. And then Jesus said to him, you've got to be born from above. There's got to come this life. And in thinking about that life, and a number of the ladies in church are pregnant, um, you think about, I've been there when Lisa's had our kids and you dads that have been there. Is it such an incredible thing when a baby's born? There's life. And how that parallels to being born again. There's life in that little child that came out from the womb, there, it's, it brings you to tears. It's, such a, it's, it's incredible. There's life there. It's breathing. It's crying. It's, it's moving. There's life there. Is there that life in your heart when I'm speaking about the gospel and about Jesus Christ that there's a witness that says, yeah, there, there is life in Jesus. Amen. He is the only way to heaven. 
it may be totally dead. That means there's no life. God says there should be that life within us like that baby that came. Now, how did that baby come out? Uh, thinking about that, like, did the baby come out with a credit card and a wallet and a coat on? And did it come out with anything? No. Nothing. And so when Jesus said the way is narrow and to strive to enter that gate, but the gate is really narrow. I heard one person talk about it like you've been to a sporting event, uh, seen the Rockies or Broncos or kind of big stadiums. We'll have a turnstile and there'll be 20 of them there and they have the little thing that turns when you go in. Can two of us go through that at once? No. That's what that word narrow, it has that nuance to it or it helps us to understand there's absolutely nothing of our goodness like a credit card that baby comes out with or a wallet or a coat or there's nothing. You, when, you, when you go through that narrow gate like this pulpit, I'm right here and I stand by myself. It doesn't matter... We, my kids have been in church ever since they were little. They could have a, a, a something like Paul Washer's wife, where she grew up in the church too. She did good. Th- she did things because they were good. But she found she went along. God, there's a deadness. There's there's these tests in First John that describe a Christian, and I'm failing those. I'm failing them. I, I'm working hard, I'm doing what I think I should be doing, but there's a deadness in my heart, there's not a life. Like this little baby that comes out of the womb that's breathing, that's moving, there's that life inside of me. As much as I want to take one of my kids by the hand, you can't take people through that turnstile at the sporting event. It's only you have to go in through it individually. And... The most important thing that my kids or your kids or you or I could do was to would be to respond to God's word and ask him, I want it to be real. I don't want to go on faking it and it's not real and I want it to be real, God. He will respond to that. So in Hebrews, um, Hang on. (laughs) Let's turn to John 3, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born from above. So more than just understanding, I could understand what I just shared, or what we just read from Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4. I could understand that. That doesn't mean I have life. It's more than me just understanding it in my head or, you know, comparing different stuff and trying to figure out what's true and what's not. The reality is that God says, I want to put a new heart in you. God wants to put a new heart in every person walking the earth. That's His will. That's what He wants. 
So Jesus is there with Nicodemus. You can imagine maybe yourself as Nicodemus. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You know, the blind man that I referred to where Jesus said, you say that you can see, therefore your sin remains and you're blind. The blind man that Jesus opened his eyes, uh, he said to the Pharisees, you know that nobody could open my eyes unless they had come from God. That made the Pharisees so mad. Are you teaching us? Are you telling us how to get to heaven? Jesus was right there. And that was their attitude. Are you going to teach are you going to teach us get out of our church? That's what the Pharisees said to that blind man. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus recognized that Jesus answered and said to him, "Thank you for recognizing that I'm a great teacher." It's, it's very good that you understand that I'm a great teacher. Jesus didn't say that. He said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of God, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You've seen me do miracles. You're telling me what a great teacher I am. Unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. He tells Nicodemus. And he says describes to him a little bit there of being born again. And Jesus is surprised that Nicodemus doesn't understand these things. So I'll finish with this in a, and then a, a short testimony. Turn to Ezekiel 36. Why did, why did Jesus expect Nicodemus to understand what he was saying? Nicodemus probably knew Ezekiel 36. And in Ezekiel 36, verse 25, it says, Then God says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean, and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. That's one thing that if you listen to Paul Washer's wife, she realized, I have filthiness. I have idols in my heart. I say that I don't love the world, but I find that I do love the world. I have this filthiness, these idols that I love more than God. And here God says, here's the answer. God said, I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. God says, I'll remove the heart of stone that's within you. You remember the parable of the seeds falling on the soil? The heart was just... The ground was hard like a stone. And God's word didn't have any effect. Birds just came by and plucked it and ate it and by the time you get home from the meeting, it's gone. Well, what do I do if I've got a hard heart? It's not my fault, is it? Or It is. Because there's not an agonizing, a striving to enter the gate where you've heard God's word and you've come to Him in honesty, saying, I'm blind, I can't see it, there's no life within me. 
And your word says there should be life. And my heart is hard. What can I do, God? What does God say he'll do? He'll give you that good soil. He'll give you a new heart. Those that are born again, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, think, I wasn't born again as a kid. My heart was hard as a stone. When you had testimonies about Father's Day, I thought of how bad my relationship was with my dad. My dad wasn't born again, isn't born again. I, I wasn't, and our relationship was bad. I was mad. I didn't want to ever talk to him. I ignored him. I was mean to him. That's the heart of stone. That's a hard heart. I couldn't get rid of it. I, but God, I love my dad now. I can't wait to go see him in a week. I love him. God did that. I didn't do it through a self-help book or, oh man, I've been bad to my dad. I better be good to him now. It wasn't that. It was that with a new heart you can love. You can care for people. That's, you know, as you read the New Testament, that's a main reality of, are you, do you have the Holy Spirit in you? To what degree are you filled with the Holy Spirit? It's how can you love? How much do you love? How much do I love? That's the thing that convicts me, that God convicts me, is, Reese, you should be, I want you to be a more loving person. It's not that you're born again and you're instantly like Jesus and you can love like He can love. But as we walk along, we see, wow, look at Jesus. He's the exact nature. He can have people driving stakes through his hands and he's praying for them. And he loves them. And he's dying for the very ones that are killing him. How can he love? Here's a a testimony of a lady. It says, a number of years ago, a woman sat in a pew in the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, where I now serve as pastor. At the time, the pastor was Donald Gray Barnhouse. He was talking about the cross and the need to believe on the Christ who died on it. The woman was not a Christian. She had been raised in a religious home and had heard about Jesus, but she did not understand those things and therefore obviously had never actually trusted in Jesus. As Barnhouse spoke of the cross, he said, Imagine that the cross is a door or that it has a door in it. All you're asked to do is to go through. On one side, the, the side facing you, there's an invitation. Whosoever will may come. You stand there with your sin upon you and wonder if you should enter or not. Finally, you do. And as you do, the burden of your sin drops away. You're safe and free. Joyfully, you then turn around and see written on the backside of the cross through which you have now entered. Here are the words, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. The preacher invited those who were listening to enter. The woman later said that it was the first time in her life that she had really understood what it meant to be a Christian and that in understanding it, she had believed. She believed right there. In that church, at that moment, she entered the door. Moreover, her life then bore witness to the fact that a great change had occurred and that she was a child of God. That's really important. Moreover, her life then bore witness to the fact that a great change had occurred and that she was God's child. 
I'm certain of the facts of my story because that woman was my mother. Wow, that last sentence. <laughs> the author of the book was talking about his mom who'd been listening and in church for most of her life and had finally understood the cross, finally come to the cross. And her son had seen the change in her life after that time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's able to give us life. I pray that unbelief in any of our hearts would not keep us from striving and reaching out by faith. By doing it your way, Father, there's no other way but through Jesus. We don't want to climb up or dig under or find another passageway around but to come through you, Lord Jesus, and receive the gift of righteousness, the cleansing of our sins through your blood, and to know you and to grow in our knowledge of you. I pray that no one would go away condemned, that the devil wouldn't cause any to agonize and doubt and all of that when you have caused us to be born again when we have been born from above. Help us to rejoice and to be thankful for your kindness and your goodness and your love toward us. Each one of us, it's your will that we have life within us, that we're born from above. May it be so, Father, for your glory in every heart, in every life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.